This is a podcast by Wellhouse Church, where we take a closer look and dig a little deeper into this week's sermon. What's going on, Bible nerds? Let's talk about X, Acts 1. Let's do it. So let's take a closer look. Also, Happy New Year to everyone. Happy Welcome. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Welcome to Season 2 of the podcasts. Welcome um, to Season 2. Welcome to Season 2. It's actually kind of crazy to say and think about. It is. Like over a year of these. It's been a long time. A lot of hard work, um, but lots of results. Yep, yep. It's been great. Yep. Been great. Can't do any of it without the listeners. Nope. You guys are awesome. So, Axe. Okay, so here's how the whole thing about Axe came up. Because... I was really fighting the temptation to do like some kind of connection to new mm-hmm. with the new year. I was mm-hmm. like, this is stupid. Like, I don't want to do this. This is played out. Everybody's done this. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. This yeah. is dumb. I don't want to do this. So I was like, you know, whatever. Um, but I didn't like, I really didn't want to do that. And so I was like, okay, what do, what do I want to do? Like, what, what, what would be some good and helpful content right now? Mm-hmm. And it's probably, like, I know for a fact it's carryover from fundamentalism, 1,000%. Um, but, like, I actually really just enjoy going through a book of the Bible sometimes. Okay, but I love when preachers do this. Like it allows you to capture an entire full piece of, of what an author has to say. Correct. Right. And yeah, sometimes that's really helpful for the congregation. Yeah. Um, 1000%. It it doesn't have to be a theological discussion, right? It's going to be a part of it, but it doesn't have to be all of it. Yeah. And it's really impactful. Yeah, I think so. Especially since in anything, there are always methodological differences in the way that you can approach a text right. that can draw different truths out of it, right? right. So you, I can approach it from a theological perspective one week. I can approach it from a social perspective the next week. Right. I can approach it from a sociological perspective the following week. Like mm-hmm. There's so many different methodologies that you can use to bring text to light yeah. so that even going through a whole book, it never feels the same way and kind of boring. Sure. Um, and so like, I was like, okay, I really, I think I really want to preach a book. And what I, the book I really wanted to preach was Jonah. Interesting. Um, why do you think that's real? I'm just curious because I think people naturally launch into a new year and when it's the new year, they think that the new year is going to be their year and inevitably it doesn't take long into January before we all hit some trials and we just get pissed off at the world. Yeah. And Jonah's a great character well, to follow through that kind of experience. Absolutely. But was not 2020 and 2021 the epitome of what that is? <laughs> I mean, yes. And and so by very virtue of that, why do you think 2022 is going to be, be any different? Y- 
Yeah. I mean, we've got... At least the first half of it. Literally nothing's changed. Yeah, for sure. Except the number at the end of the year. Like, that's literally all all that changed. It's all the same. And so, like, I just... I kind of wanted to do Jonah. But then I was like, you know, maybe not. Yeah. That that's actually kind of depressing. Um and so I was just kind of thinking through um after our advent series on like the reciprocity of the gift. Right. I was just thinking that maybe like a good follow up to that would be like, so what do we do with this now? Mm. Like now How that we, we understand this? grace in this kind of new way, yeah. what what do we do with it? Um, hence acts of the apostles, like what, what better way to decide what to do with it mm-hmm. than going into the book where we're literally told story after story after story right. of how these people decided to live out this faith that they'd been introduced to by Jesus. Right. Uh, so that's why we're doing acts. Cool. I'm so here for it. And so, like, kind of like a contextual point here. If you don't know, the New Testament has four four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, Luke and Acts are two volumes of the same story. Mm-hmm. So Luke is the prequel to Acts. Mm-hmm. So Luke opens up. In the first book, that's Luke. If you want to know what the first book is, that's Luke. Typically, in scholarly world, we would refer to these as Luke Acts, Mm. like just because they're two volumes, one story. Okay. In the first book, Theophilus. Okay. Let's talk for a minute about Theophilus. Not a super common name in the ancient world. Okay. But there are like evident there is evidence of it as an actual name in the ancient world. It's also common for people to um like pay someone for a service of doing research and writing a story. Mm-hmm. Theophilus, the name itself means lover of God. So Theo is God. Yeah, that makes Philos sense. Philos yeah. is uh, a variation, a cognate of love. Uh, to love. Yeah. Um. So it could be a real person. It also could be that Luke, who we believe wrote these and was a doctor, um, and in order to co- be a doctor. Being a doctor didn't make you wealthy, mm. but in order to be a doctor, you had to be historically wealthy. Right. So it could be that Luke chose to embark on this journey by himself and addressed it to Theophilus, right. lover of God, any per, any, any Christian. individual person, yeah. Yeah, any person identifying themselves as a Christian. Um, Interesting. Now... I personally think that he's a real dude because in Luke chapter one, when Luke does this same prologue, um, he says, 
Since many have undertaken to set down an orderly account of the events that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed on to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses as servants of the word, I too decided after investigating everything carefully from the very first to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the truth concerning the things about which you have been instructed. The most excellent title makes me think he's a real dude, a person of royalty in the ancient world, mm. and was hired, and Luke was either hired or chose to do it because he had befriended Theophilus and wanted to do this journey. Got you. That makes sense. It could be either, though. Right. <clears throat> In the first book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus did and taught from the beginning until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instruction through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Okay, now this is an interesting thing because I know people are going to want me to talk about this. So what Luke has just said is that the first volume, Luke, covers Jesus. All of Jesus. Right. From Jesus' birth to Jesus' ascension. Right. But if you look down, beginning at verse 6, Jesus' ascension is recorded again. Right. And when you compare them, they're quite different. Mm. They're not actually quite different, but... They're different. They feel different. And the reason is, is because the ascension recorded in the last part of Luke... Is literally so short. We'll talk more about this next week. But it says, Then he led them out as far as Beth Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he withdrew from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with the great joy, and they were continually in the temple blessing God. I don't think it could be more vague right. at the end of Luke about what the ascension was. Right. And then he actually gives you like some more detail of Jesus's words and the blessing and the conversation happening around the whole moment in Acts. So it's clarifying that for that second half of chapter two or verse two. Verse three, after his suffering, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. All right, so several things should just like scream at you off the page in that verse. Number one, after his suffering, that word choice is not, like that word choice should not be lost on you, that God suffered. Right. Um, there are lots of other words that crucified, mm. hung on a tree. Paul uses that in Galatians. There's lots of places to talk about Christ crucified, um, sacrifice. Right. Lots of other words. Luke chose suffering. God suffered. Mm. Luke's gospel is the gospel for the suffering, mm. the outcast, the ones right. who hurt. Yeah the ones who are weary, 
Luke's gospel is the gospel for the suffering. Hmm. He chooses that word because he wants it. He wants it to pop in your mind right away hmm. that God suffered. Yeah, because it's important that God suffered alongside people. There was a great so. My friend Josh Hilburn um, uh, is a pastor, a church planter in Houston of a church called Gather. And their Christmas Eve service, I didn't watch it, but our friend Adam was there and he posted about it. And he has quotes around all of these phrases. So my assumption is that this was Josh or Andre, the other pastor on staff speaking. But I screenshot this because I thought it was so good. It says, There are plenty of lessons to be learned and theology to be understood in this sacred season, but maybe all we need is this one-word sermon, Emmanuel, Emmanuel, God with us. God with us in every hospital room, at every graveside, in every dark room after everyone else has gone home to their normal lives. God with every immigrant kid trapped in a detention center and every refugee who has turned away at the last door. God with every gay kid being sent away to conversion therapy convinced that God hates them. God with every addict and victim of abuse at the hands of religious leaders. And God with every foster kid with a garbage bag full of their treasures. And God with every protester crying out in the streets that black lives matter. Emmanuel, God with us. God with the mourning. God with the scared and the angry. God with you, Emmanuel, maybe that's all we need. Hmm. Wow. I think that's the truth that Luke is trying to communicate. That God with us suffers alongside us. Yeah. That, so not only... Is that just a huge truth? But it it, it feels comforting, you know, like to know that God is is with us through the hard things. Yeah, um, and there are hard things, lots of them, everywhere. Uh, that list. Uh, yeah, how many were right. on that list? So many, and that list was by no means anywhere close to exhaustive. No, um, and everybody's hard things are different, right? Mm-hmm. We talk about this all the time. The trauma is relative, um, but whatever your trauma is, whatever this thing is, yeah, God is with you. Yeah, mm. I mm. ooh love that. You will love Luke and Acts. Right. Because that's, that's Luke's whole point. Yeah. Is For that sure. God is with us, suffering alongside mm. us never, and redeeming us through suffering. Yeah. I I never thought about it in that way. Yeah. And oh my gosh. Yep. Like, wow. Great, love right? Love it. Great, right? Mm. So shout out to whatever person on staff at gather wrote that because it's beautiful way to go and it may have been some collaborative team effort between josh and andre i don't know but it's beautiful 
Um, the other thing that should jump off the page to you is he says, after his suffering, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs. Now, let me preface this. I'm not one that... I'm not one that ever thinks it's really an appropriate tactic to, quote-unquote, prove the Bible true. Right. I don't think that's helpful. Um, and I think the ways that we go about doing that kind of problematic. Mm. Um, I think it can be helpful in some instances for some people, but by and large, I think that tactic has done more harm than good right. historically. And so like, if you come to me and go, Hey, can you like prove that the Bible is real or prove that Jesus was real or any of it happened? I'm like, not really. Yeah. Um, but if you want my proof, the thing that I hang my hat on, it's the eyewitness testimonies. Mm. And not just their testimonies, but the things that they were willing to do to go about and suffer for this message of Jesus. That's my proof. Um, what... Go ahead. So I had this weird moment where I was like, I should probably talk about this with him afterwards. And then I was like, no, that's not real. That's not vulnerable. If if this thought popped in my head, which I don't think is where I'm at, but if this thought popped in my head as a possibility, somebody's el somebody else's mind clicked yep, to this yep. too. That just sounds like religious extremism. Could be. Oh, it very well could be. Right. And, and except, so what would, except they didn't do any harm. They were harmed. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Okay. That's the that's the difference I would make is that their lives were given over to the suffering, which mm -hmm. is the beautiful piece of the metaphor like the beautiful piece of the story of Jesus. Mm -hmm. They chose and went, and we have records of them actually dying in quite heinous ways. Pretty horrible ways. Um Yeah. Because of this message. Yeah. You ever want to know if somebody actually saw a resurrected man? Like, if People you're looking for proof, that, yeah. that's the one that I would point to. Um, and there's an entire, I mean, I've got lots of books over there behind Clayton about the resurrection. Um, that's the one I would go to. Mm. The proofs that Luke is talking about are the appearances. Right. That Jesus, everybody saw Jesus die. And Jesus appeared to lots of different people. Yep. And one, I think it's in 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul actually records a list of all these people that he appeared to. And he says, yeah, this is 1 Corinthians 15.3. For I handed on to you as of first importance that I in turn had received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas, which is Peter, right. then to the 12, then to, uh, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. 
Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he also appeared to me. So, like, that's a massive amount of people that mm. Paul's recording that saw that Jesus revealed, like, appeared to mm-hmm. as the resurrected G- Jesus right. and the deified body. Um, and so that's the proofs that he's talking about, that Luke's talking about. The story of Thomas touching his side, appearing right. in the house, floating right. through the locked door, eating, eating breakfast with Peter on the seaside. Like, all of those kind of stories are the proofs that Luke is talking about here. Right. And then lastly, the thing that should jump off the page at you, he was speaking about the kingdom of God. Luke also very big on the kingdom of God. Yes. For Luke, the kingdom of God is realized socially. Right. The kingdom of God is realized as being the hands and feet of Jesus. The kingdom of God is realized as the people of God acting like God. Mm-hmm. Healing the sick, taking care of the poor, yeah. caring for the widow, the orphan, um, Tending to the vulnerable. Doing Jesus things. Doing Jesus things. Then, verse 4. While staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. If you've been around church for, you know, very long, you're going to have heard about Pentecost, the day that the Holy Spirit is given, and it rains down on about 3,000 people, uh, or no, sorry, rains down on all the Christians in one one place, um, and because of the supernatural things that happen in that moment, about 3,000 people become followers of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is a very powerful tool, mm. very powerful experience of God. Um, and I, I want to walk this out more and I'm not, I'm not fully ready to commit to this, but one of the reasons I believe baptism is a sacrament is because I think that Paul's main metaphor for baptism is participation into Christ. Mm-hmm. And so when Luke says baptism by the Holy Spirit, right. participation into the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. via or alongside Christ, um, That is a monocle experience, not monocle, a minuscule experience of deification. Fair enough. Yeah, I think so. The reason the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a big deal is because never once has humanity participated into God or the spirit of God in that way. Mm. The spirit of God has been breathed out Mm. 
right. on humanity. Ezekiel 37, I'm looking at you. The Spirit of God has been active in the world. Right. However, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, this kind of active agent of divinity mm. has never been given and participated into humanity in this way. And the way that I differentiate this is we read these Old Testament stories all the time. And we're like, man, wouldn't it just be so much easier if God spoke in an audible voice or mm. appeared to me in a burning bush or appeared to me in these crazy kind of miraculous ways? Yeah. Wouldn't that be so much better? Yeah. And I used to talk to a friend, and we would, we would have this conversation, and one day he just looked at me. and Or no, I looked at him, and I was like, you know what? One of these days I'm just going to look at Moses in heaven and go, hey, dude, what was it like, like having experiencing God this way? And he looked at me and goes, I think Moses is going to look at you and go, hey, you dummy, what was it like with God living inside of you? Yeah. <laughs> like, what was it like you yeah. participating in God and God participating in you via the Holy Spirit? Right. God has never acted this way before. Yeah. This is a defining moment a new in, thing, yeah. in humanity. This is something that has never been done before. Yeah. Want to know why the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a big deal? Why it's listed as the last part, the last part of the introduction to Acts, and why there's an entire chapter given over to it in the book of Acts? It's because God has never done this before. <laughs>